welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. From the latest archery equipment and expert shooting advice to proven bowhunting tactics and the sport's biggest personalities, we've got you covered. Now, here's your host, Editor Christian Bird. All right, welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting, and as always, we're thrilled that you've taken some time to be with us today. You know, today we're going to talk once again, uh, unfortunately, but somewhat fortunately in this case about chronic wasting disease. And I say unfortunately because I always hate talking about CWD because it's not really a great thing for those of us who love deer and deer hunting. But the good news is that as time goes by, we're learning you know, more about this disease all the time. And, and, and I look forward to the day uh, that we're going to have you know, some really effective uh, ways to deal with CWD across the Whitetails range. And that is the topic of today's show is there was some really exciting news that came out just last week uh, from Uh, the hunting industry, specifically Wildlife Research Center and uh, Arcus Hunting, which is the owner of Tinks. And these two manufacturers, which are leaders uh, in providing uh, attractant scents, uh, which are use urine in their products, announced that they've got a brand new testing protocol to ensure that there is no way that these products can help spread Uh, chronic wasting disease. And so today I thought this was so important that I wanted to invite Sam Burgesson, who's the president of Wildlife Research Center. Sam, thanks for being with us on uh, Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. Thanks, Christian. Nice to be here. And I've got Phil Robinson, who's the president of Arcus Hunting, the owner of Tinks. Phil, thanks for being with me today. Glad to be here. And lastly, but certainly not least, I've got Dr. Davin Henderson, who's the founder of CWD Evolution, which is a company that specializes in testing for chronic wasting disease. So, uh, Dr. Henderson, thanks for being with us on Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. Great to be here with you, Christian. You know, uh, those of us who are avid deer hunters, and I'm going to uh, basically say that just about everyone who's listening to the show falls into that category, is certainly aware of CWD and the way that the disease has spread around the country. And you know, state and, and federal agencies have really, um, you know, scrambled to get a handle on this and see what they can do to try and stop the spread of it. And one concern that uh, seems like most of these state agencies have had is the way that urine, uh, specifically urine from infected deer, could potentially uh, cause the spread of CWD. And it's interesting because there's not necessarily ever been a conclusive link uh, between urine and the spread of the disease. But that being said, a number of states have banned the use of urine-based scents and, and uh, several others are considering it. And obviously, that's a concern for those of us like myself who are hunters that use attractant scents. And certainly, it's a concern for you guys as manufacturers, uh, Sam or Phil, um, you know, I'll let you guys jump in and, and talk to me a little bit about the impact, you know, that this is having, um, you know, not only on you guys as business people, but on, on hunters around the country and your customers. The bottom line really is when you consider the science and and the, the amount of prions that can even possibly exist in urine, even in the worst case scenario, and you consider all the steps we take, how we collect the urine used in our products, 
and all the safeguards that we take to protect our herds and make sure uh, we don't get CWD at one of our facilities, um, the, the risk of urine-based sense um, spreading CWD really is virtually zero. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the, the wildlife agencies, um, the ones that we engage with and have had conversation on this with, we've been able to work through a lot of these facts and information, um, but um, some states that haven't done that have passed bans, and that's a really big deal because a lot of hunters use our products. It's a really important hunting tool um, for for hunters and it helps them be more successful in the field, and um, hunters have been using our products for decades. Sure. It's not like it's, uh, we've been looking at this for several years, not just uh, in the, it's kind of come to light just in the immediate as there's been more states uh, proposed bans, but I mean, the last thing that we wanted to do would be zelling anything that risks spreading CWD. And so when Sam mentioned, you know, that we've got uh, some, some authorities on the subject, we, we actually went to the, the authors of the studies that the states were using to reference uh, when they were having these opinions. So, I mean, it's, uh, we didn't, we're not, didn't go to just an, any, any average biologist. I mean, we were the, the prion scientists that authored these studies and they, uh, I mean, they were almost, I mean, Dr. Anderson is one of them. And I mean, it was almost as they were put out just because, uh, you know, these studies were being, uh, misinterpreted basically they're just taking tidbits of them and and not really for what the study was intended right and you know i think the the way that i understand it um you know for those who aren't familiar with how cwd is spread it's it's generally believed in the scientific community that the disease is caused by uh prions which are uh, misshapen proteins and uh that these prions are most uh densely uh, concentrated in the brain and the spinal column, but are also found in other parts of the body and can be found in in saliva, feces, urine. But uh, it seems, based on my understanding, and Dr. Henderson, you know, you can sort of add some context to this, but basically the level of of prions, even in an infected deer in the urine, is so much less than what you'd find in... uh, brain tissue, spinal tissue, that you would need like gallons and gallons and hundreds of gallons concentrated in one spot to even have sort of a remote possibility of spreading the disease with urine. Am I stating that correctly based on current science, Dr. Henderson? Uh, yeah, that's that's um, essentially the idea is that um, deer that have CWD in a population um, it, they, they could potentially shed enough prions and urine through the course of uh, numerous years, and, and then the, it can, can contaminate the environment to the point where deer could potentially get sick. That's kind of what we meant um, in the study when we were looking at, uh, we were estimating how much urine it would take to get a deer sick. Um, and th- there have been studies where, at, at Colorado State, uh, prior to me getting there, um, where they tried to inoculate deer with deer urine um, from sick deer, and they didn't get sick. Um, they've also tried to inoculate mice in the brain with urine, and only one mice out of nine ever got sick with uh, after concentrating urine um, and then inoculating into the brain. So that that was the proof of principle that there are prions in urine, and that's kind of where I came in and, and developed um, extremely sensitive tests in order to detect CWD in urine, and that's kind of where we are today, where there's a uh, just because you can detect it, does that mean it's dangerous? And and my estimation is these products aren't dangerous. 
because um, as best as I could figure, an infectious dose would probably be about 16 ounces of urine fed orally to one deer. And that's just not really possible with how these products are used. Yeah, when you're using one ounce or less on a scent wick, uh, the odds of a single deer, you know, ingesting the entire amount of urine that's on the scent wick is basically nil. And then you'd be talking about 16 times of that. And honestly, you're even assuming that you've got urine from infected deer out there. And I know that um, the likelihood of that is pretty slim, too. I know that, uh, you know, certainly uh, the, the Archery Trade Association uh, is already working with manufacturers to do a certification program that these urine products are coming from herds that are certified CWD free. And now you've got this new test that you've developed to test you know every batch of of urine that's coming out uh of the the manufacturers and and ensuring it's not there so before we dive into that i did have a question as sam was talking initially do you guys know you know among the three of you exactly how many states currently have urine bans in place i think there's about a handful right now um alaska and arizona have had it for a long time and i don't know um, if it was really CWD driven or not, you know, it's been so long. Uh, Vermont, Virginia, Arkansas, Rhode Island, uh, New Hampshire. Yeah. Uh, so there's a couple of them. I think that's all of them, right? I think other than uh, that, I mean, the ones that we've recently that had proposed bans that reversed them and just in the recent months were uh, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, and Tennessee. And all those were states that had a proposed ban. And once again, after we were able to sit down with them, I mean, these guys were, they understood and, and uh, either reversed or amended their ban. Gotcha. And then you've had some other, well, I know here in Pennsylvania where I live, they've also proposed it. I don't know what the status of it is, but certainly when you have a state like a Pennsylvania or some of those southern states that you just mentioned that are considering this, that's got to be a lot more concerning to you from a, from a market standpoint than, say, a Rhode Island, which is going to be a relatively small impact on your your total sales. But you get a Pennsylvania, I have to imagine for both of you gentlemen, uh, Pennsylvania represents a fairly significant portion of, you know, the, the deer hunters that are using your product. And, and, and that, that becomes, you know, a significant uh, potential impact. Most it certainly. A, I mean, and uh, that's why, I mean, those other four key states that I mentioned, I mean, those are big states for us as well. But definitely Pennsylvania uh, uh, is uh, one that we're in conversation with as well. And there's is more of a, uh, and Sam could probably speak to this better because of Minnesota. I think both of those two states look at it as more of a uh, congregational threat than actually a transmission threat. Is that right, Sam? Yeah, that's the way we can understand it. Both both Pennsylvania and Minnesota have uh, CWD management zones where they've banned the use of um, urine scents as well as other attractants and uh, uh, feeds and stuff like that. They, um, the idea is, is that if you get something that attracts deer into a concentrated area, if you have infected deer, they can um, spread it more easily from deer to deer, which on the surface that sounds pretty good. If you put out a a big pile of corn in a field, you're going to have a lot of deer coming to that feed pile over and over again. And 
if you do have sick deer and they're drooling on that pile as they're eating, um, interacting with each other, sitting there for long periods of time, um, there's, from an epidemiology standpoint, there's a good argument that you could increase the risk of spreading disease there. However, when you consider urine-based scents, it's a lot different. Um, you know, we, we wish they like came to, running like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we wish, wish it worked like that. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, like. Scent, and it's going to attract deer in the area. If you have a deer that's already in the area and, you know, a buck and he smells that doe and estrus scent, there's a good chance he might swing over and check it out. But you're not going to be attracting deer from miles away. Um, they're not going to be coming to that spot over and over and over again, and they're not going to be interacting with each other. They don't eat the scent. It's a very different thing. I, I would actually make the argument that you already have deer urinating all over the woods. Um, you know, we have some figures here that, um, you know, the average deer urinates about 42 to 64 ounces a day, which is about 150 gallons a year. Um, we've never verified it on camera, but we assume an average deer urinates maybe four to six times per day. So that would be a, a typical deer might urinate 1,800 times per year. Um, if you get a hunter that goes out and puts a little urine out on a wick, um, you know, it, it's not really going to have a significant impact there. And if anything, you're you're adding sense locations to the ones that already naturally exist. So if anything, you're actually diluting the congregation as opposed to... Um, increasing it and then on top of that it helps hunters be more successful and if they're more successful and uh, they, they shoot more deer then there's less deer and less congregation going on there anyway so I think that's you know it's kind of a backwards argument I think when you really think about yeah. it right I mean like I said animals don't eat the scent you know they don't spend long periods of time in one spot interacting with each other uh, like a bait pile I mean they're they're uh, they are they already in that area and they're urinating all over the, that area already so yeah dr henderson um let's talk a little bit about this new test that you 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 helped to develop because this is really um groundbreaking in my opinion and i actually have some questions about the implications for this uh, test that it may offer for the longer term you know management and uh, control uh, detection of chronic wasting disease but let's just start off from the beginning here um, your company CWD evolution uh, how did you guys go about developing this test was this something that you kind of already had in the works or was this uh, prompted specifically uh, by a request from you know these manufacturers and perhaps some others who who came to you and said hey we obviously have a, a situation here regarding uh, our product and and its specific you know relation to, to chronic wasting disease and is there something you know that we can do to uh, ensure that uh, we can show that the public and these state agencies that there really isn't uh, a significant significant risk associated with it. Right. So the, the test, the RT quick test um, for chronic wasting disease uh, was developed quite a while ago, actually in a lab in Montana. And uh, I started working with it when I came to Colorado state university and my colleagues and I there uh, worked on ways to develop more sensitive tests and eventually got to the point where we were able to apply that RT quick test to urine. And that was one of the studies that's often cited um, for states banning the uh, use of deer urine products is the is a study that um, my colleagues and I did on detection of chronic wasting disease in urine 
uh, longitudinally throughout the disease. And uh, so what the what Sam and Phil essentially asked me is like, hey, this you know this test um, was used to detect it in the first place. Could we use it to, to test our products? And that was kind of the, the how the company got started, you know, along with some investment and then some work securing some intellectual property that was um, still um, pending for the use of that type of test. Uh, we got all that together, and um, I basically applied the same research test um, to these urine products and and kind of refined it to the point where it became a uh, you know commercially applicable test that can be done um, you know reproducibly and and can be done um, you know at, at, a, at, at the at the level we would need to detect chronic wasting disease in these products um, and and that so essentially it, it determines whether or not there's enough CWD in these dairy urine products that would pose any risk to wildlife. So once it's below a certain level of detection, we know that it's, you know, a billion fold less than brain um, or something like that, and which is far below an infectious dose for deer. So that's, that's kind of the basis of the test. Um, no test can tell you that there's no CWD in something, but uh, this is the most sensitive test out there to determine if there's CWD in, in any product or any tissue. Um, so, so once it's below the level of detection of this test, uh, I'm confident that it's that that product or whatever the test is on uh, makes that safe for for wildlife. Now, you mentioned that this was a test that was originally developed uh, a while back. What was the original RT Quick Test using to detect the CWD? It was testing like brain tissue or spinal tissue. That's right. Um, the first. The first thing that it was applied for, actually uh, applied to, is detection of prion disease in humans. Um, so we, it's a prion disease in humans is spontaneous in about one in a million people, and it's uh, it's really rare, and there's no real good diagnosis because the clinical signs kind of overlap with Alzheimer's. Um, so they're currently using RT Quick at I think the Cleveland Clinic um, to detect uh, uh, prion disease in humans. So that was the kind of the first push to use RT Quick. Um, was to detect prion disease in humans, and Colorado State being a kind of a center for CWD research, um, we applied it there uh, most most prevalently to chronic wasting disease. Um, it had been it had been used um, to detect chronic wasting disease prior uh, in the in the same Montana lab, but we we kind of took it and applied it to as many different things as we could um, with the deer uh, inoculated deer that we had at, at the at the university. And you know, looking at uh, longitudinally at excreta, looking at uh, brain tissue, and and trying to figure out the difference in the levels between brain, and um, and the prions and excreta, and then looking at the distribution of the disease in deer, and also um, you know trying to figure out where it, how it spread from you know if it, if a deer it was inoculated with chronic wasting disease, where does it go first? Where does it replicate? Trying to ask questions like that. So it's a really useful test. It works on pretty much everything we tried um, to detect something, and urine was probably the hardest. Uh, because the levels are so low, uh, the good thing is there really aren't a lot of inhibitors for that for the test um, in urine, and so so it actually works pretty well. Um, so the, the main difference between this test and a test that's available for chronic waste disease from like a diagnostic laboratory is this is an amplification test. It can um, take really really small amounts of prions in any kind of tissue and then amplify them to a detectable level. Whereas the tests that are currently done in in diagnostic labs are are a, a direct detection, so they have to be able to see the presence of disease. Like in the immunohistochemistry, you have to see the little red spots, uh, uh, splotches or plaques on the tissue to be able to, to diagnose chronic wasting disease. So this this test is more of like a, if, if people are familiar, like a PCR for viruses. So it really it changes the game and, and allows a, a much sensitive, sensitive level of detection for chronic wasting disease. Now, in terms of uh, detection levels or de- um concentration levels for for prions like you had mentioned earlier you know something that tests negative in your urine test for CWD is going to be 
I think you said like at, at least a billion times less, you know, if there's any at all, than maybe what would be in brain tissue. How do you guys in the scientific community measure sort of infectivity of a CWD sample? Do you say that there's number of prions per per parts per million or you know that would sort of be the only concentration I'd be familiar with in science you know typically we refer to things as parts per million is that what you guys use when it comes to CWD yeah so you can't really do that with this disease because you can't really separate the prion from the other protein in the um, in the source for example for brain so you can't um, necessarily figure out how many are in a in a in a specific amount of sample like for viruses you can have uh, plaque forming units um, or, you know, for a chemical, you could detect the individual um, number of molecules, which would give you like a parts per million. So prions are, are more kind of more amorphous and they're more difficult to quantify. So what they do, um, if you really wanted to know how much or, or compare two samples, is you have to do a, um, a limited dilution um, in, in, in a, an animal model for infectivity. So they typically take mice and inoculate a series of mice with, you know, one dose and then dilute that tenfold and inoculate them with that dose and then tenfold again and tenfold again. And eventually you get to a point where only half of the mice die from that dose. And that's an LD50. So, so prion diseases are kind of quantified in, in lethal dose or LD50s. Um, so it's the, the, the dose that would, would kill uh, half the mice in the study. So it's kind of a gruesome way to measure, but it's really the only uh, definitive way uh, to, to tell how much, how infectious a sample is. And so we've used those types of studies and then used RT-Quick on the same uh, amounts. And then, and, and so with, with RT-Quick, you can quantify the amount of prion based on, on how fast the reaction happens. So if the reaction happens really fast, you know, there's more prion. If it happens really slow, um, you got, it has less prion. And then we make a standard curve with those data. And then you can kind of put um, different um, uh, samples on that and compare that to that, that LD50. So that's kind of how we determined how urine was infectious or how infectious urine would be was by comparing the, the reaction rates, how fast urine samples converted uh, compared to the brain samples that have been used in, a, in an LD50 test. Gotcha. And, you know, from a practical standpoint and actually testing urine, if you, you know, how does this work? If you have, say, you know, a, a batch of, of tinks number 69 that's getting ready to, you know, be bottled and packaged to be sent out, how do you actually go about uh, testing that batch of product? And is it a quick thing? Is it like something you can run, you know, like like a pregnancy test or something like that? Or is it a much more involved and time-consuming process to actually test these these um, products before they're they're shipped out. It, it is a little time consuming. Um, the the basis of the test uh, is so. First of all, instead of you know looking at a bottled product, um, the best thing to do is to test the urine, um, the plain urine, prior to it going into its formulation. So after formulation, there's no other products from any other um, you know deer or cervid species that would potentially add CWD. Um, so we know that the urine going into the products has been tested. And so, so in order to test urine, you can't just uh, put it in this type of test. You have to concentrate the prions in urine in order to get a, a positive uh, detection. So the way uh, we do this is using a, um, a, a, a iron oxide particle, which binds prions. Prions are, uh, have been known to bind metal for a really long time. So, so those particles kind of circulate through a, a, an amount of urine and, and bind the um, CWD. And then we could um, use a magnet to separate them from the urine 
and then wash those particles, and then those particles are added to um, a reaction mixture where uh, the prion in, the, in that sample could be then amplified. Um, and that takes about 48 hours for that reaction to start. And the, and the substrate mixture you know, has to be sensitive for amp uh, amplification, but it, can't, but it also can't um, spontaneously uh, form prion on its own. So it has to be, the substrate has to be uh, prepared fairly carefully to get, a <clears throat> to get a positive reaction and to keep the negative reactions negative. So it is kind of a fine balance. Uh, but this test has been used quite a bit, and I have uh, quite a bit of experience working with it now, and, and uh, it's been working really well for the urine products lately. Well, I'm I'm glad we've got a lot smarter people than me working on this because I understood I understood like half of what you just told me. But uh, anyway, it, it, it it's very very fascinating. And for you guys uh, from the manufacturers, for for Sam and Phil, are you guys um, basically with the announcement of this testing protocol? Are you saying that like starting now and going forward that all of your uh, urine based products are going to be tested using this and so um you know that's going to be an added level of uh, confidence and security that you're going to be offering uh for your for your customers yeah i mean uh like i said uh, we've been working with dr henderson this year to develop the protocol for this test so both sam and i've been testing our natural urine uh for 2019 not all the product is labeled accordingly, uh, but we're uh, in that process of trans, you know, changing all of our packaging over so that it shows that it's been uh, RT quick tested and ATA certified for, for this year. So the products we have on the shelf or uh, produced this year uh, have been tested. And what sort of what sort of reaction are you guys getting from the the states as you share this information with them, uh, provide information about the testing? Is there is there a consensus that this is something that uh, is sufficient to you know indicate that there's no risk, or is there skepticism out there amongst uh, some of these folks? I was going to say it, it's been really positive. I mean. Uh, we've always, you know, when we've went to some of these, these states and we've told them about our program and how we, uh, you, you know, make sure that our products are, are, are uh, CWD and not going to have any problem with that. I mean, this test is like a final confirmation that the products are safe. And, you know, and so it's a double double check. And, I mean, it's been very positive. I mean, actually, just this morning, I mean, the, the Mississippi uh Chief just reached out to me and, and he saw the article and very excited about it. Want me to call him and, and, and give him some more information about it. So, good, good. And uh, I think uh, Dr. Henderson, were you wanting to say something too right before I asked that question? Oh no, I don't think so. I think Sam was trying to get in there. Um, yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say, you know, uh, Wildlife Research Center and Tanks kind of work together, and with Dr. Henderson here to work on getting this test developed and get it to a point where our industry could use it. But we're, we're we've already began testing, but we are really encouraging, and I think most, if not all, of the other companies in our industry are going to be doing doing this very soon. Um, I think it's a, a really big deal for our industry, and it's kind of a kind of a game changer. You know, we're we're doing all the right things, anyways. You know, the science doesn't really support that we have a risk here, even in the worst case. If you have urine from sick deer, the 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 levels would be so low, and then on top of that, all the urine we're collecting is coming from uh, facilities that are 100% monitored, meaning every deer that dies is 
is tested for CWD. And then with the ATA Deer Protection Program and all the extra steps we're taking there to protect. And like Phil said, I mean, this really is kind of a final confirmation of what we already knew, you know, that the, that these products are not a risk. And um, I think it's a really big deal. The, the wildlife agencies, we've had a lot of interest in this, um, a lot of them reaching out. And uh, I think it's a, it's a big deal. It's a game changer. Yeah, and, and I wanted to follow up with Dr. Henderson on this, uh, you know, kind of going beyond the scope of just testing, you know, urine-based products. I know, because I've been sort of covering CWD for a long time, um, actually longer than I've been at the magazine here because it sort of first started to rear its ugly head here in the East uh, um back when I was still an outdoor writer at a, at a newspaper here in Pennsylvania when it showed up in, in West Virginia. But one of the big problems with CWD up until now, or maybe still now, is that there's really no way to test a live animal because you need you know, a tissue sample from the brain or the spinal column to look at that under a microscope, I'm assuming. With this test that we've been discussing today, Dr. Henderson, is it now possible to evaluate um, a live animal for CWD by using a urine sample? Uh, a urine sample, no. So the, the levels in urine are, are too low to be a, a diagnostic sort of sample. Saliva is a bit better, but still um, it's not really at high enough levels in saliva for it to be um, used as a, as, a, as a predictable uh, measure for CWD in an in, in individual animal. Um, it, you know, from a population level, I think that we could probably use feces detection to, to understand if a whole population of deer is potentially infected with CWD because you can go out and collect feces in the environment. And uh, an RT quick test on feces works pretty well, even though the levels are pretty low. Uh, what we have been looking at for a live animal test is the use of a rectal biopsy. Uh, and this is primarily for, um, for uh, um, animals that are in, you know, behind the fence farm deer uh, where they can be handled um, and, and with, without uh, anesthesia, they could be uh, sampled in a, a little part of the lymphoid tissue, which is just inside the rectum. And that is really diagnostic for CWD. And, and it's, um, it's with the RT-Quick test, it's about 85% uh, as sensitive as the, as the post-mortem test. Um, so that's that's about as good as we've been able to get. Um, it, it potentially can be get a little bit better. We're still working on on ways to uh, refine that test. Um, but you know, tonsil biopsies and rectal biopsies the, the, have been used to to look at CWD in live animals. Uh, the state of Texas did a whole bunch of rectal biopsies to look at uh, CWD in live deer in some of the deer farms down around Austin uh, when they had a problem with CWD, <clears throat> and they used the uh, IHC test on that tissue, uh, which is which was done by their diagnostic lab. Um, but if they would have used RT Quick, for example, they could have caught about 30% more positive samples uh, due to the increased sensitivity. That's really interesting. And what you were saying about the use of uh, feces for, you know, potentially monitoring wild deer populations, um, you know, currently I know what a lot of the states do um, is – they're collecting, you know, either random samples from hunter killed deer, um, right, by visiting, you know, meat processing facilities and gathering uh, some brain samples there. Uh, other states give uh, hunters the opportunity to voluntarily provide samples by uh, putting their, their deer heads in collection boxes and things like that. But are, are you suggesting that perhaps 
uh, the states might want to actually identify sort of areas for targeted monitoring and then they could actually uh, just collect feces, as you said, from given areas of habitat and do a test on that. And that may be as effective in, you know, identifying potential areas of new infection as as the random, you know, monitoring from individual deer that they're already doing. Yeah, I think it, I think it could be of a benefit. And the main thing it could that a state could find out um, is that if a population was changing in prevalence. So, for example, if they thought, you know, based on hunter submitted samples or random samples, they had about a 1% prevalence and they could monitor the feces and determine um, in that in that area. And if all of a sudden they, you know, ended up with a higher prevalence, they would know that chronic wasting disease is changing in that area. So the more testing, the better um, for understanding this disease. There's so so little testing done compared to how many deer are, um, are, are taken in states that, uh, you know, and the reason is, is it's expensive. I think I heard uh, the state of Michigan, it, it costs them about $125 to test each deer uh, when you take into account all the different things that they have to do. Um, so it's really not an, you know, it's, it's doing testing at, at that cost at a really large scale. It's just out of the price range for a lot of these agencies. So so developing tests that are um, that are cheaper and, 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 and can be done, um, you know, in an automated way or quicker, um, you know, could, could facilitate understanding a lot more about this disease. Yeah, and you know, one thing that we kind of have to discuss anytime we talk about chronic wasting disease is that, you know, um, well, obviously I'm a deer hunter. I'm going to assume that Sam and Phil are avid deer hunters, Dr. Henderson. I don't know if you are, but uh, for those of us who like to hunt deer and like to eat venison, uh, we, we always have to talk about, you know, what is the potential risk to us as humans? And, you know, again, I, I want to stress the fact that as far as we know today, with all the science that we have available, there's no evidence that um, there's any risk of, of getting this disease by eating meat from an infected animal. At the same time, I know that all of the uh, agencies that have jurisdiction over any of this certainly don't advise you to consume meat from an animal if you know that it's a CWD positive individual. But uh, I don't think that there's a need for undue alarm uh, on our part as hunters. Um, you know, I'll open it up to you gentlemen and uh, any sort of perspective that you want to offer, uh, any new findings that I might not be aware of, by all means, you know, this is a good opportunity to share that with, with our listeners. You know, even in a disease that we know could spread to humans, like bovine spongiform encephalopathy, BSC, which is also called mad cow disease, you know, that disease was potentially, you know, millions of people were exposed to that and 200 people, or maybe a few more than that now, uh, circling to that disease. So, you know, prion diseases in general don't uh, hop species barrier, species barriers like that, you know, with, with, uh, you know, any, like a real concerning level. Um, and I think this one is, uh, the research is pretty conclusive in uh, animal studies that um, it's, it's really difficult for humans to get infected with this, with this disease. Um, and, and I would, you know, say that it's pretty much, uh, it would be a really, really, really rare and extremely uh, strange case. So it would have to be like consuming something with very high levels of CWD, like the brain. Um, and, and, and that isn't something that is recommended or, or practiced anyway. So um, I think 
I think the people are safe from this disease. Um, and the, you know, the things that scientists commonly say about this is, well, we don't know if it's going to change. We don't know how, um, you know, the disease is going to evolve over time. And those things are true. And, and there's a lot of uh, research being done out there on this topic to, to make sure that we understand that aspect of this disease. And I would say that's probably one of the largest areas that's being funded um, from the NIH is, is understanding how this disease could spread uh, to humans. So I think um, we're, we're making progress on that. And I think that, um, the, that uh, right now we have a, a good understanding that there's not, not a risk for people eating these um, eating animals with this disease, uh, mostly because the levels would be really low in muscle uh, where, where people would eat uh, from, from a deer. And um, I think that... Uh, well, the um, the they do recommend not to eat the animals that are, that you know are infected. So that, uh, and I agree with that. If you if you know, I wouldn't eat the deer uh, just to be on the safe side. And you know, I mean, there's a lot of issues about you know, would you want to share a deer with uh, you know people that you that you know in your in your neighborhood um, if you if you don't know it's infected. So I think I think we could do a little bit better um, on and making testing easier for people. Uh, in the hunting industry or who are out there hunting and, and, uh, and RT quick could potentially offer a couple ways for, for hunters to, to submit a sample themselves and get that tested and have a, um, have a, have a quicker turnaround than they could get with the state agencies. Gotcha on that. Uh, Sam and Phil was there, I think one of you guys was getting ready to jump in there. Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the things that we see is when you first, see CWD for the first time in a new area, it has a big impact on um, hunters and, and um, participation in the sport, and people are worried about it. You know, all of a sudden you get this new disease that's showing up in their area, and they're worried about, you know, shooting deer, bringing them home, eating them, feeding them to their family and stuff like that. And I, I think it, you know, it is something, you know, that, that worries all of us a little bit. So, Dr. Henderson's point, the research shows that there really isn't uh, a risk at this point in time, and it's something they're keeping a close eye on. Um, once you've had it in an area for a while and people learn more about the disease and understand this stuff better, we see participation rebound and kind of go back up as people get more comfortable with what's going on. But I think one of the best things that we could do for hunters and for the sport of hunting is if, if there's a way that um, hunters can easily get their deer tested um, just to get that confirmation, um, you know, that it doesn't come back positive, that gives a lot more confidence. And then the other thing is if somebody does have a CWD positive animal, I think it's really important to have a way to properly dispose of that animal because one of the biggest risks of spreading CWD is, um, you know, uh, transportation by humans, you know, moving moving the the deer around if you have an infected carcass or something like that. A lot of states have uh, started um, banning carcass import where, imports where you have to, uh, before you can bring a carcass into the state, you have to get it um, processed so you're just bringing the meat and you're not bringing the high-risk parts like the brain and the spinal column, stuff like that. And I think having an easy way, you know, it's just like recycling or, or any other thing. If you make it too hard for people, they're they're not going to do it. The easier you can make it for hunters to comply with these rules and to be able to do those things, I, I think it's just a lot easier um, and it's going to be a lot more successful. Yeah, absolutely. I know like for myself as somebody who's, you know, I'm fortunate to be able to go to 
you know, a handful of different states every year and hunt deer. And, uh, you know, that's been a change for, for those of us who are traveling hunters, right? Because uh, with the way that CWD has popped up in so many places, most every state now has uh, regulations in place that prohibit us from bringing, you know, entire deer back home again. So uh, whenever I go somewhere now, right, I mean, it's going to be standard operating procedure at this point to, to bone out those deer. And if you've got a, a trophy buck, you're going to have to take the skull cap off and, and make sure you don't have any visible brain matter there. And, and yeah, I mean, it's an important role, just as you guys, as uh, industry leaders, are, are putting you know time and energy and financial resources behind testing your product. Uh, each one of us as individual hunters, you know, has to do our part as well and, and make sure that we understand what those rules are and follow them so that we're not contributing to the spread of this disease because certainly, you know, uh, the better we can contain it, uh, the better off we're, we're all going to be. Um, Jumping back to what Dr. Henderson said about the, you know, the risks uh, to humans, which, you know, really there's currently no evidence indicating that there is one. Um, again, you know, as he said, you know, nobody can say it's absolutely impossible, but I look at it as, uh, you know, for myself and, and my family, uh, I just kind of take uh, a pretty good measure of comfort knowing that, you know, CWD was first identified back in the 1960s in Colorado, and it's been endemic out there. Uh, so for we know for at least 50 years, and, and, and certainly it could have uh, been and, and likely has been, you know, prevalent in wild deer and, and elk populations out there for longer than that. And yet we don't see any concentration of uh, sportsmen in Colorado who have, you know, some kind of abnormally high incident of brain disease or anything like that. So um, as it continues to spread, of course, we don't want that. But at the same time, I think as time goes by and we see that, you know, CWD is known to exist in so many areas uh, here in the Midwest and the East now, and uh, as, as the years go by, if we don't see, you know, any, any uh, you know, infections, that's just, I realize, Dr. Henderson, that may not be science, but it's a lot of anecdotal evidence that would add to the science that would indicate, you know, you, you're not having really, uh, you know, a, a risk there of becoming ill from, from eating these deer. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there, you know, there been epidemiological studies of people living in Wyoming and Colorado, as well as um, a group of people who are who were known to be exposed in the state of New York to a CWD positive deer, and you know there's people being followed right now. And, and as as you said, there's no evidence that there's been any increased prevalence um, in any neurological disease that would suggest that there's a, a risk for meeting the, the meat from an epi epidemiological standpoint. So, gentlemen, what do you see uh, going forward, uh, you know, specifically for Sam and Phil, for the industry as a whole? Uh, obviously, um, you know, you've got this new testing protocol. Um, is, is, is there a shift uh, towards more synthetic sense, or do you think that as people understand more about CWD that maybe this a uh, whole issue of using natural urine is going to become, you know, less of a concern, less of a factor. I think, uh, I mean, certainly Sam and I both have synth 
synthetic sense, but I mean, I mean, there's no use in uh, discontinuing using the urine products uh, if they're the natural products. If there's, you know, there's not any risk of them aiding in the spread of the disease, and that's what we're uh, trying to educate uh, everybody on. And that's why this shows like this uh, this radio program are, are uh, um, important. You know, just to kind of clear the air with the misinformation kind of floating around there and the opinions and, and, and let folks know that, Hey, we've, we've uh, looked at the science on this and the experts on the, uh, on this and, and they're saying the products are safe. So. And the, there's always going to be naysayers or people, you know, no matter what you say or do, but um, you know, we have synthetic products that work pretty well and we, you know, have a lot of good customers that, that use those products and are happy with them. But um, most hunters will tell us that you can't beat the real thing. And um, urine is a highly complex biological fluid. I mean, there, there's a lot to it. It's not something you can just simply replicate in the lab. You can't order some chemicals from a, from a chemical supply company and just mix them up and expect the same result. It doesn't work that way at all. And, um, you know, hunters have used these products successfully for so long that we have just such a, a loyal following and so many people that use these products. And I think, you know, having this final confirmation that, um, you know, these products are safe and um, there's not a concern there, um, just, you know, is is really good for the, the hunters that use these products. And obviously it's it's good for the industry and it's good for the sport of hunting, I think, so... Yeah, and uh, you know, I can certainly say for my part that uh, I've used I've used products from both of your companies over the years, and I've had uh, good success with with them. Uh, like you said, it's not a like anything in hunting. You know, it's not an ironclad guarantee, and it certainly isn't a situation where you you know you hang a set wick or, or a scrape dripper and just you know step back and get ready to shoot because they're going to come running in on a string. But at the same time, I, I've certainly had, you know, I, I like to use those those wildlife research magnum scrape drippers and, and, and you know, definitely see activity uh, on my cameras there. And, and it's a good tool, you know, to, to get an idea of what's in the area and, uh, yeah, uh, play on the, the curiosity uh, of those bucks that are moving through the area. And, and, you know, same thing with the Tinks products that I've used. Of course, the number 69 is sort of your signature uh, product and, and has certainly been an awful lot of bucks that have been taken uh, by guys using Tink 69 over the years. And, and, and you can count me among them. And uh, like you said, it's a, it's a tool for us to use. And uh, if we can continue to do that uh, in a way where we don't, you know, feel like we're being irresponsible and, and presenting a risk to the resource, because ultimately, you know, I think we'd, we'd all like to believe that, that we have the best interests of the resource at heart, you know, not only as individual sportsmen, but uh, yeah, as leaders in the industry. And, and so that's why it's so good to see, you know, the progress that you guys have made and the efforts that you're taking. And it certainly ought to make myself and uh, my fellow hunters uh, who are getting ready to head a field this fall, you know, feel confident about being able to continue to use these tools in a responsible manner. So I certainly appreciate it. And, and, and I find, you know, 
the, the topic of CWD fascinating. As I said at the beginning of the show, I don't particularly enjoy having to talk about it on a semi-regular basis because that means that it's, the problem is that just means it's continuing to spread. It, it's, it's a big issue for our sport, but, but we can't ignore it. And we need, we need smart folks like Dr. Henderson and, and uh, responsible, you know, company heads like you, like Sam and, and Phil to, to help us, you know, find our way down this path so that we can keep our, our sport healthy for, you know, the next generation. Yeah, yeah I mean, um, thank, thank you very much us. just for the opportunity to, to just to, to get Dr. Henderson and, and, and us and let us uh, kind of let the listeners know what we're doing with these products and the testing that, that, that we're putting in place. So. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I'm I'm just really excited that a technique that I worked on in you know in the lab in a research setting is now being able to you know taken out of the lab and and, and do some good out in the real world, and uh, and I hope that you know there's there's many more applications for this technology in the future to help hunting and, and the CWD problem. Yep, thanks, Christian. We really appreciate the time and the opportunity to do this. Everybody's busy, but this is an important important topic, and uh, certainly wanted to give. Uh, give it the attention that it deserves. So with that, I will thank you all uh, once again for being with us here on Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. Wish you all the best of luck out in the field this fall. And if I happen to uh, have some more success stories with uh, Wildlife Research Center and Tinks, I will be sure to be sending you guys the, the trophy photos. You'll be among the very first to know. Thank you for listening to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bowhunting on your local newsstand or check us out on the web at bowhuntingmag.com. 